Now, this morning, Joshua chapter 17. Joshua 17, and I would like to begin reading here in verse 11, and we will read down to the end of the chapter. I believe God has a message here for us. Uh, I believe it to be fitting because we should be thankful. I want to preach on thankfulness. And so verse 11, he says, And Manasseh had in Issachar and in Asher, Bethshean in her towns, and Iblim in her towns, and the inhabitants of Dor, and her towns, and the inhabitants of Endor, and her towns, and the inhabitants of Tanak, and her towns, and the inhabitants of Megiddo, and her towns, even three countries. Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, but the Canaanites would dwell in that land. Yet it came to pass when the children of Israel were waxen strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute, but did not utterly drive them out. Now, I want you to note how this changes. He's been talking about uh, the lots that are given to the tribes of Israel. And if you was to read a couple chapters before, he spells out the tribe of Ephraim and the tribe of Manasseh. But now all of a sudden, we're getting into where I'm going to begin to pull the message from. All of a sudden, they refer to themselves as the tribe of Joseph. Now, I'm going to make mention of that later in the message, just in case I forget. I want you to see that I'm trying to emphasize this. He says, And the children of Joseph spake unto Joshua, saying, Now, why hast thou given me but one lot and one portion to inherit, seeing I am a great people, for as much as the Lord hath blessed me hitherto. And Joshua answered them, If thou be a great people, then get up to the wood country and cut down for thyself there in the land of the Perizzites and of the giants. If Mount Ephraim be too narrow for thee, and the children of Joseph said, The hill is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites that dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron, both they who are of Bethshehan and her towns, and they who are of the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua spake unto the house of Joseph, even to Ephraim and to Manasseh, saying, Thou art a great people, and hast great power. Thou shalt not have only one, one lot only, but the mountain shall be thine, for it is a wood, and Thou shalt cut it down, and the outgoings of it shall be thine, for thou shalt drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots, and though they be strong. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we come. We thank you now. We've had a good time. And uh, Lord, I, I enjoy it when the children sing, uh, and, and they're, they're learning how when they come to church, that they have a place and, and they have uh, something to do in the house of the Lord. I, I believe that they're never too young to serve and to be a part of our service. Lord, I ask that you bless them in a special way because you told us to suffer the little children. Now be with those that are sick that could not be here. Lord, be with them and help them. Be with those that are watching today. Be with those that are traveling. I've gotten... Uh, 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 people that have, have texted in like brother Keith Bauckham he's traveling he prayed for traveling mercies and Lord be with him and keep him safe in Jesus Christ's name amen you know I believe it to be important that we uh, give thanks to our Savior and something that we did uh, Thursday that was a little different uh, uh, is before we ate 
we went around the table and had everybody, and, and of course I clarified, you give me one thing you're thankful for. <laughs> I'm more like Isaac than Abraham. You know, Isaac, he's getting ready to bless uh, uh, Esau. He's going to bless Esau. And, and, but before he blessed, he said, look, before we get to the business at hand, before we get to the Lord's business, let's eat first. And that's kind of, it's carnal. It really is. But I said, oh, everybody give us one thing to be thankful for. And, and we, had, I don't, to my knowledge, had never really done that. We're always thankful on that day. But that, that day, this year, that uh, we took that time and went around the table, what are you thankful for? And I, I believe it was uh, a special time. And we need to be thankful. We have a lot, a lot to be thankful for. I also think that it's important that we set aside some time daily, weekly, monthly, yearly to give thanks to God for His blessings. I really believe that Thanksgiving should be a time that we give God thanks in everything. You know, with that said, there's a couple of verses of scriptures come to my mind and I, I'm going to, to read them to you. Because I'm going to make a couple of points before we get into this message that we see here about the sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh. And they had inherited a lot. And they weren't happy. They weren't thankful with it. But here's what the Bible says in Ephesians 5, about verse 19. He says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. There's a semicolon there because he's going to bring about a continuation of that thought and going to emphasize something, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'd like to ask you a question this morning. You need to ponder while I'm preaching. Can you thank God for all things? That's going on in your life right now. Say, oh, preacher, you just don't know. Well, maybe I don't. But I'm asking you a question. Biblically speaking, can you thank God for all things that's in your life right now? Are you thankful? Say, well, I'm thankful for the good. I'm talking about all of it, the good and the bad. Let me give you another verse of Scripture for thought. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, he says this, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So he's saying, in everything give thanks. Now, you'll have to forgive me, I'm not as sophisticated as I probably should be. And I was thinking about this message this morning and I was kind of going over it to realign my my mind with the notes that I'd made and this come to my mind this morning and if you don't understand it uh, I apologize but I want to give you an illustration imagine yourself as a pitchfork just imagine yourself as a pitchfork it's a it's a tool that people often use farmers <laughs> on the farm you know Imagine yourself as a pitchfork in the master's hands. We're pretty happy when the master uses us 
to pitch hay to feed the flock. Now, I'm approaching this from a pastor's perspective. Some of you already know where I'm going with this. You're smarter than I am. But we're not so happy when the master uses us to clean the barn and pitch manure. We're not happy with that lot. We're happy when we're pitching the hay. Oh boy, this is good. I'm feeding the flock. The master's using me. I'm happy. But the master, you can tell I've cleaned a few barns out. and It was a pitchfork Grandpa handed me. And there was a manure spreader. And he says, this is part of it also. We're going to clean barns. I had a two-week vacation. I spent two weeks with him. And uh, yeah, I had fun, but there was work every day. And that work was cleaning that old barn out. And so we did it. Now, he helped me with it and taught me how to use a pitchfork. But imagine yourself with that pitchfork. We, we, don't, we don't like it when the bad comes. And all of a sudden, we're not happy with that lot. We're happy when we're doing some good. Pastors fall into that. Pastors are, they're very happy when God's given them a church and they can feed and boy, that church is growing, that church is big and boy, look at me. And then all of a sudden it comes time to clean the barn out. I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. Well, that's part of it and we need to be thanking God for that part too. He says, in everything... And everything. So I ask you again, can you thank God for all things that's going on in your life right now? Say, no, no, I can't. Then this message is for you. Because the sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, were not thankful and they were not happy and they were not going to give thanks for everything in their lives and it was a problem let me put you in the context they had arrived in a place of blessing that's the land of Canaan Canaan is a type of the Christian life it's not a type of heaven Uh, it's a type of the Christian life where we're going to cross the Jordan and see it's a picture of salvation where they come out of the iron furnace uh, Egypt the type of the world we're going to cross that Jordan and we're not coming back we're going to set down the stones of remembrance and go in and possess the land there's fighting that goes on in the land of Canaan but it is a land that floweth with milk and honey and so They had arrived in this place of blessing. They had been delivered from Egypt. They were free from bondage. They were no longer slaves to a cruel taskmaster. They had been fed with manna. Their clothes had not worn out in these 40 years, and their feet did not swell from all that walking. But perhaps Ephraim and Manasseh, they're not happy because they looked and they seen what God had given Judah. Judah had got a pretty big tract of land and some 29 cities and their villages and their suburbs. And so 
They were unthankful. And we see it down here. It says, look, I'm a great people. For as much as the Lord hath blessed me. They were very unthankful. And I, I, I believe that as a preacher, you know, we're quick, as preachers are, to preach on sins of the flesh. You know, we're, we're quick to... Uh, preach against adultery and fornication, against pornography, and against missing church, and, 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 and being too worldly. Now, I don't say a whole lot about gluttony. That's another subject. <laughs> it's a sin, too. But, <laughs> but we don't often talk about a very vile sin. It's the sin of the Spirit, which is the sin of ingratitude. Not being thankful for where we're at in life. Not being thankful for what God has done in our life. And if you're living in America this morning, you got warm food that's been in your belly, you've got a lot to be thankful for. You, you could be in Gaza. You could be underneath some rubble scratching around trying to find some clean water to drink, worrying about somebody going to cut your head off if they find out you're a Christian. We don't have to worry about that yet, today. So why were Ephraim and Manasseh unthankful? I believe it shows up there in verse 14. And the first thing I see... As they say this, I am a great people. They have the spirit of entitlement. Spirit of entitlement. I'm great. I'm great. I deserve more. That's what they said. You've only given us one lot. Are we not a great people? You know, I'm the children. And what I wanted to emphasize is all of a sudden it went from Manasseh to Ephraim to... Uh, Oh, <clears throat> we're the sons of Joseph. I don't know if you caught it, but I've read it so many times that it, it comes out. It's, got, it's like a red flag there. Uh, 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 we're the sons of Joseph. We're great because we're the sons of Joseph. You know, I can hear them talking about this now as they tell Joshua, you know, your all's daddies bowed down to my daddy in Egypt. Remember that? Joseph was second in command in Egypt. You know, my daddy was so godly and spiritual uh, that God used him to save the world. And it was your all's dads that had to come down there after they made fun of him for having that dream. And it was our daddy. Kind of like, you know, my daddy can beat up your daddy stuff. When you get into my age, it's, well, my daddy's smarter than your daddy. You know, stuff like that. My daddy fed your daddy in the time of the great famine. That's what I do believe that they are insinuating here in this text. He said, well, they don't say it. Well, don't be a hyper-literalist. You need to absorb yourself into the text and see why did they change the name from Manasseh and Ephraim when they were divvying up the land. It was, oh, yeah, no, 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 by the way, I'm Manasseh. Now make sure I get my part. Uh, I, I want to part. No, don't, don't miss my part with, with uh, uh, Ephraim's part. But all of a sudden, 
when they got back and they're looking and like, this is it. This is all I get. My dad fed your dad. And, 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 and this is all I get. That's entitlement. I deserve more because I'm great. You see, they say, God has blessed me hitherto. When I first read that. I didn't really know what that meant. It means God has blessed me up to this point. But boys, somebody's got their wires crossed because God's going to bless me because I'm great. After all, did I not tell you? God's blessed me up to this point. What's wrong, Joshua? And by the way, Joshua, they appealed to him instead of the high priest like they were supposed to because he was family. Don't you know? We're great. What are you doing, Joshua? What's up? Entitlement. You know, I've counseled with a lot of people uh, younger in their ages, and they have that entitlement mentality. Well, I deserve more. I live in America. Just because you live in America doesn't mean you deserve more. That's right. There's a lot of people that would love to have just what you got. I believe we got more things in our home than the majority of the world has in a whole lifetime. Teens. There's teens that's got more money or more expensive smartphones than I do, and they're always up on the current technology. I don't know who's paying for that. But boy, they got it. When I grew up, we didn't have cell phones. And so... I see this spirit of entitlement. I see the spirit of arrogance. After all, I'm great. God's blessed me in the past. I don't deserve this. And so here's how Joshua answers this. Joshua says, you know, if thou be great. If you what you say you are then you need to go up. There's a hill over here. And you can cut some wood down. And you can make some room. And this popped to my mind. You know, Joshua was telling them to prove their greatness by their deeds. I believe it's a vast misfortune when children live in the achievements of their parents instead of standing on their own feet. I believe that's why there's many people in my age group that are not even in church. As they're either their moms and dads have passed on or their grandfather and grandmother has passed on, and they can't live in their parents' achievements no more. And they're having to stand up for themselves, and they got this entitlement mentality and this arrogancy about them. And we do them an injustice when we won't let them stand on their own feet, make their own reputation. I'm not saying don't help them. I'm saying I wouldn't enable entitlement and arrogance. But I see the spirit of compromise. I'm telling you why they had this attitude. 
They had the spirit of compromise. Verse 13 said that they were supposed to have driven out the Canaanites in the land. That's the unbelievers. That was the people that was going to pull them from serving God in the future. And God said, don't make no deals with them. What'd they do? They made deals with them. The fighting's just a little too hard. And so I see the Spirit of laziness also. I, I, I see it. You see, Joshua says, here's the solution, boys. If you need more, cut some wood. And they said, it still won't be enough. It's not enough. So what did Joshua tell them to do? It's not enough. They're going back and forth. Well, he says, get up. I was having some fun with this. Get thee up. Thee, that's singular. So that can apply individually too. Let me, uh, let me translate that out of the original Greek. I don't speak a lick of Greek. Hebrew, actually, so that tells you what I know. <clears throat> In the modern day English, you want modern? <laughs> it means get up off the couch. That's what it means. We've raised a generation of couch potatoes. Get up off the couch. Instead of complaining, get up, put your body into action, fix it, get involved. Nothing is going to change sitting around, complain about it. Joshua said, you need to go cut some wood. And of course, you know how my mind works. How much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? The wood that a woodchuck could chuck would be the wood that a woodchuck could chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood. Yeah. I won't do it a second time. He wanted them to cut some wood. They had land, and I see this so much. This is when this began to, to get real to me. They had the potential. These 12 years, I've seen so many people that's had the potential to be great. Now, they thought they were great, but they were actually living in the greatness of their family name or their parents and what they had achieved but they had the potential to be great. But they were entitled. They were lazy. They were arrogant. They needed to get up and cut some wood. They're not happy. Ephraim and Manasseh, the sons of Joseph, are not happy with how their situation was. I don't like this. I don't deserve this. Have you heard that? I, don't de I hear it a lot in counseling. I don't deserve this. Well, get up. Cut some wood. You know, sounds a lot like us, don't it? I'm going to bring it home. Sounds a lot like us. We're not happy with our lot. We need to be thankful for our lot. God has given each and every one of us a lot in life. Maybe I'm that pitchfork that the master's using to clean the barn out. But it's my lot. Maybe God is using us as a pitchfork to pitch the hay. 
Maybe you're a hammer to build, to hammer nails and to build. Maybe you're just there as a broom to sweep and to clean. That's fine. But we need to be happy with our lots. If we're not happy with our lot, then we need to listen to what the man of God says. It's what Joshua was. He's a man of God. I believe so many times we're more Calvinistic than we realize. We are. When it comes to things in our lives or things in the church, we become, now we're not Calvinists. Now we'll, we'll say that. Well, no, I believe that God uh, wants everybody to get saved and God has paid the sin debt for everybody. And amen, that's right. It's what the Bible teaches. Cal be careful with doctrines named after men. Calvin, Calvinism, watch out. It's a heresy. But I believe we're more Calvinistic than we realize. Because when we're not happy with our lots, we say, well, I guess this is just all I can do. You know. <laughs> Whatever. My advice, biblical advice is, get up. Cut some wood. You got some wood to cut down. You can make more room. You can, the, you, the potential uh, that God has for you, the happiness that God has for you is there. You have what you need. I say this from time to time, and I'm amazed at how it really goes over everybody's heads. Every, I, I even quit posting on Facebook. I'm not a big Facebook poster, but God does feed the birds. God feeds the birds. But he does not put the food in their nest. Now, that's something you've got to think now. Think through that. Well, God's not feeding them. No. There's a part that God's going to do, and there's a part the bird's got to do. If the bird is too lazy to get up, you've ever heard of it? The early bird gets the worm. God provided the manna. Let me give you something that might make a little more sense. God provided the manna for 40 years. It rained down. It come down with the dew. But if you would not get up off your couch or your bed and get out of your tent, you were going to go hungry. And it wasn't God's fault. And so, on Friday, God gave them twice as much. So, gather up twice as much. And even told them what to gather per person. A gomer. That's a serving. That'll feed you all day. You can cook it, fry it, put it in a gravy, make bread out of it. It tastes like... You ever had tortillas kind of warm them up? If you've got a gas stove, cook them, turn them over, flip them, slather them in butter, put a little honey on it. That's what manna tasted like. How do you know? Because what the Bible says. I was going to be funny there, but... Because I've tasted some. <laughs> the Lord said it tastes like coriander seed. But he eat it every day for 40 years. My grandfather, and, and by the way, I needed to say this. If y'all come up with a really good diet that really works, let me know because I want to make sure and avoid it. 
<laughs> Why? <laughs> Why would I want to get up and cut some wood? See, we're more Calvinistic than we think. There's a lot of people living a life that God never intended for them to live. And they're not happy. And they're sitting there blaming God. Like, God, why'd you do this? And the whole time, God's saying, uh, you can have the hill. Go up and cut some wood. You need to cut some wood down in your life. You need to take some action. You know, marriages, they take work. 33 years. Marriages take work. I got news for you. They take work every day. If you miss a day, you're going to begin to have some problems. You know what most people do? I don't know. My spouse. They just, I don't know, we're just not getting along. So what are you doing about it? Uh, 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 yeah, that's the problem. Get up. Cut some wood. You see, we need to invest time for the good of our spouse. We need to invest communication time to make sure that we're living up to our spouse's expectations. You say, well, they're unreasonable. Then you need a counselor. A lot of times people act the way they do because they've been disrespected or feel like they have. And it's up to the other spouse to make sure to work on that and invest that time. I'm saying marriages take work. Every day you got to go to work on your marriage if it's going to stand the test of time. We need to invest in our marriage, not take investment out. That's something to help you. Jen and I have that game we play. And sometimes I'll ask her, how's your love tank? There's five love languages. You should know your spouse's primary love language. I'm the kind of guy, you can tell me all kinds of words. It's going to go in one ear and out the other. It doesn't matter to me. Acts of service is my primary love language. The highlight of my day is when Jenny brings me my first cup of coffee. She don't have to say anything else. I don't need to hear, I love you, honey. She'll say that a hundred times a day. It's not my love language, words of affirmation. It's okay. It's acts of service. It's primary. Here's the problem. One of her primary, secondary, is acts of service, too. So you know what has to happen? I hear this clicking of the cup over there. You know what I got to do? I got to get up. And I got to go invest. I got to put an investment into a love tank. And I got to bring her her second cup of coffee while I'm getting mine. You say, well, that's a tit for tat. No, that's called an investment because that's one of her primary love languages. That's called investment. And then we play Uno to find out who's going to be king and in charge for the day. What I'm learning, it doesn't matter if I win. She's still boss. 
The whole point is there was time invested. Marriages take work. You know what else takes work? I need to say this. Let me give you a statistic. Let me give you a statistic, and, and we'll hurry on. In the United States, the divorce rate hovers around 40 to 50%. That's where our divorce rates are. You know what the divorce rate is in America for arranged marriages? Anybody care to take a stab at that? Let me ask it like this. You can shake your head yes or no. Do you think it's more than 50% on arranged marriages? Yes, yes, okay. No's, okay, I got more no's than yeses. You know what the divorce rate is on arranged marriages? 4%. Oh, I'm telling you, mom and dad can see things you can't see. Yeah. Marriages take work. Churches take work too. People who will need to visit others. Sunday school teachers, general church workers, cleaners, planners, maintenance workers. Let me give you some statistics on that. <clears throat> Six to eight percent of the church people walked in by their own initiative. They just blindly seen the church, drove by, and said, hey, I'd like to go visit there, walk in, and they stick around. Does that happen to anybody that's sitting in here? I don't think so. Okay, you. No, you were invited by a friend. No? Really? Seriously? Okay. All right. Well, there's not 6% of you, though. And that's right, 6 to 8% are going to walk in like that. Two to three percent will like a program that's offered. I got programs. I got a great youth program. Just not a lot of people like it. We have a youth choir where we teach them to quote scriptures. We teach them how to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in their heart, like you've seen these children do. It's not real popular. But two to three percent, they'll come in because of that. Eight to ten percent come in because they like the pastor. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands. <laughs> but I, I'm going to tell you this, folks. If we have 100 visitors come through that door, only 8, maybe 10 of them would stick around because they really like me. That's not good stats. It must be my winning personality. <laughs> I don't know. This is statistics. These are, these are true facts. Three through four percent had a need met by the church. One to two percent of the people that come in or stick around come because of door-to-door -door visitation. That's a low stat. Three to four percent were attracted by the Sunday school. Now watch this. Seventy to eighty-five percent were invited by a relative or a friend. And that's why they came and stayed. You see, the average is 83% came to church because of an invite by a friend or relative. And Billy Graham Association issued a statistic that says that the average Christian can identify, each and every one of you sitting here this morning, can identify in your mind seven unchurched people 
that they have a personal relationship with. And they conducted a national survey, and 82% of those non-church said that they would come to church with a friend or a relative if they were just invited. You know, from time to time I get that complaint. Our church is just too small. Yeah. Get up. Cut some wood. Invite friends and family. Some of you do that. And so I'm, I'm not really getting on nobody. I'm just telling you some statistics. We're not happy with our lots. We're unthankful. We're like, I just can't believe this. And the whole time, the potential for the happiness is there. God's provided it. We just need to get up and cut the wood down. We need to cut the wood of compromise down. We need to stop compromising with the Canaanites. We need to cut the tree of complacency down. It's just not really, you know, I'm, I'm really happy with me doing nothing, but I want more. That's what they were saying. I'm happy with what God's done with me in the past, but I want God to keep doing it for free. I'm not going to do anything. Don't work like that. And we need to cut the tree of cowders down. They didn't want to go up to this hill because they said in the valley that you had to go through to get to that hill, there's Canaanites. The Perizzites, it's the land of the giants. Yeah. And they're in our way. We can't get to that hill to cut that hill. Yeah. There's a tree there you need to get cut down. It's the tree of cowardice. Sometimes we're cowards in our life. We know what action we should take, but we're afraid in the fear of the unknown. And so it's just easier to be Calvinistic. God, what have you done? God, this is your fault. Why did God allow this? You know... We need to get up and cut some wood. And we need to be thankful for the lot. That's what they were getting that God has given us. And if we want more, God said you can have more. But you're going to have to get up and cut some wood. And so you can possess and make that room. Ain't that good stuff? Our problem is we're not thankful to God for everything. We're thankful when he puts it in our nest. He's thankful when he fixes our relationships without any effort on our part. Sometimes that happens. And we get envious because we see what God has done for others. And the whole time God says, you got everything you need. You just need to go up and cut some wood. All that we would cut the wood down in our lives. I understand you might think you know and deserve better, but that's entitlement. It's arrogance. We don't deserve better. We don't deserve what we have. 
I count it a privilege to pastor you. A great privilege. I count it a privilege even these whole 12 years to have been your pastor. I hope that you count it a privilege to be a part of this church and to work and to serve. We have a lot to be thankful for. You say, yeah, but preacher, I don't want to hear about the butts. We can always find them. Let's go up and cut some wood. If we need more, let's cut some wood. It's there, but let's be thankful to God for everything. He says, for this is the will of God. So God's will is that we thank him for everything. You say, even the bad? Yeah, I preached on that at the beginning of this year. Remember how to deal with a crisis. Sometimes we look at a crisis or something bad going on in our life and we say, I can't believe this, God. I cannot believe you'd do this. Well, number one, we need to thank God for the crisis. That God has chosen you to represent him in that crisis. You know, the sons of Joseph could have been great examples to the other tribes to go up, cut the wood, take those Canaanites out, and they could have been led by example to encourage the others to get up and cut wood and to possess their land. They never did possess the whole land. Do you know that that whole land grant was 331,000 acre or million acres? Get my numbers off there. They only possessed 31. There was a whole lot that they never possessed because they didn't want to go and cut the wood. There was a whole lot more God had for them and a whole lot more happiness to be had, but they didn't want to get up and cut the wood. We need to be thankful for everything that God has given us. We need to be thankful for our lot in life. And if we need more, we need to go cut some wood. Let's all stand this morning. Heads bowed.